There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, hello. Welcome to Tech Magic, the podcast where we venture into the heart of technology and we explore all the news happening in technology and, you know, we discuss whether something's a, you know, the future or a fad. I am your host, Kathy Hackle. I'm a tech and gaming executive at Journey. I'm also a tech futurist. And we're here to break down the latest uh, news and innovation, technology, everything in between. Anyway, I'm joined by my amazing guest co-host, Lee Keebler. Lee, I mean, they, we're recording on Monday. This is going to air on Wednesday. What a wild couple of days in the world of technology. And I think everyone knows exactly <laughs> what I'm referring to, uh, you know, right before Thanksgiving in the United States. How are you doing? Um, what a crazy I, weekend. I, yeah. What wow. is happening? It's, <laughs> I, I said, I'm, I was reading this, all these articles coming out and I'm just trying to piece together the chaos. Um, but I had a great weekend. Um, I, I had the most low tech weekend of weekends. I basically, as as some people know, I'm in the process of writing a science fiction novel, and um, I needed to finish it. So I locked myself in my attic office and forced myself to finish the final first draft. So. I am so excited about that. I know you you messaged uh, myself and our producer and let us know exactly when you finished it. Yeah, and we last were just night. cheering. <laughs> I know. We're so happy for you. Do you want to share with our listeners anything else about the uh, the novel or do you want to kind of? Um, yeah, all, all I'll say is it's. I took a step back and I looked at the current landscape of where AI is and where it can go, specifically the concept of generative AI, which I think we're going to be talking about a little bit today because of what also happened over the weekend and uh it's a story that's not been being told um mm -hmm. and and that's about as far as I'll I'll take it uh it is wild and um yeah that's that's all I'm going to say <laughs> i have a sneak peek at you know so i'm i'm thrilled all i say i will say this though because this is a podcast and there is a that we we get there is a distribution here that allows us to reach a lot of people if anyone knows Tom Doherty Associates, <laughs> I think they should publish your novel, your sci-fi AI novel. Like, it's not Murderbot Diaries vibe. It's different. But I, I really, and by the way, Murderbot Diaries is like this awesome 
Yeah, you turned me on to that. <laughs> it's yeah, an awesome series. Yeah, it's a sci-fi um, series. Um, yeah. But yeah, I- I'm thrilled. Like, I can't wait for you to eventually get this published and and everyone see it. And like, I could see it like in my mind, I could see it being like, you know, a Netflix show. I could see it being so many things. It can so. spin in a lot of different directions. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's a lot going on here. Um, but it's, it, it's something that kind of like creeped into my head, you know, uh, during COVID break when everyone was just stuck at home thinking, uh, and I just <laughs> ran with it. <laughs> well, and I think it, d- it definitely presents like a different perspective. So, um, I don't know. Stay tuned, y'all. Can, can you share the name or no? You can't share the name yet, right? No, I'm not going to no, share no, no, the no. name Okay, yet. good. We're not going to talk about that. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you about my last couple of days. Other than, you know, hyperventilating every time a tweet came out about OpenAI, and we're going to talk about that, of course. Um, I did, you know, I, I was recovering from being very sick, but then by Saturday, I was feeling pretty good. So um, I, you know, and I was already kind of not contagious at that point. So things were good. So um, my son really wanted me to take him um, to see the Hunger Games uh, prequel, oh. the ballad of the songbirds and the snakes. And we did Any that. Good? It went, it was actually really good. I mean, it was two hours and 45 minutes. So kind of long, Yeah, but the kids really enjoyed it. Um, it was, I mean, they had read all the books, right? So we had, we had seen all the movies. This is the first time they see a Hunger Games movie in the theater. So that to them was exciting. And yeah, they, they you know, they were thrilled. They had a great time watching it. Um, I will say it's interesting because they did really good at the box office, but Five Nights at Freddy's still beat them uh, in, in, you know, in, in the numbers, at least in the opening, the opening weekend. So that's crazy. To think about, it I mean, yeah, Five Nights at Freddy's has beat the Marvels as well, which didn't do that well. Um, you know, in the I think office. people are burned on the on yeah. the Marvel universe. I'm right there with everyone. It's like I, we we've done this. I, I can't I keep know. up. I can't keep yeah. up. I'm just kind of like, uh, okay, I don't know what is going on now. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of like eating your favorite food every day. You will get sick of it, and I'm I'm right. I think I'm right there. Um, <laughs> the, you know what part of that? Um, that, you know, Marvel Universe, I, I do feel excited about, and I think my kids do too, is everything related to Spider-Man, the Spider-Verse. And- oh, the Spider-Verse doesn't oh, count. Yeah. That is its yeah. own thing. Like, I, I'll be a very much uh, an apologist for, for the, the enter the into the Spider-Verse, that whole animation approach to it. I do not consider that, like, the Marvel universe the live yeah. action is like the, really what people are just drained on it, yeah. it i can't i can't tell the difference between what i'm watching anymore um and, and i'm someone who grew up loving those movies you know um so i don't yeah. know yeah um it's kind of a weird season for long movies too because i went and saw um uh killers of oh the, that's a long one that's yeah, what three course. hours and how long is that one that one's ridiculously long it's too long it's too long <laughs> Um, it's, it's not like, it doesn't take the, the, my my, like horrible long movie trophy away from Australia. Like that to me, if anyone remembers that movie, Nicole Kidman, like that movie is actually just two movies stapled together. Um, (laughs) that that movie's too long. It's, it was a good movie. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a lengthy one. Yeah. And then we also started, I started working with my kids on their Christmas list because all the families asking what they want. Uh-huh. Um, so I think in one of our next episodes, I'm going to go through some of the techie stuff that they're asking for 
which is I would really be very interested in that. Yeah, mm. that that's that's interesting too. Yeah. yeah, I'm always bad with the Amazon wish lists for Christmas. I gotta I gotta go make <laughs> one. And if I don't make it, I'm gonna get a bunch of stuff I never asked for. Like exactly. I just it's just one of those things when you get older, you're like, I'm putting this together for you, not for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I do not need an extra pair of socks. So <laughs> I actually do need an extra pair of socks. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Well, I don't. I'll tell you that. Although I love Bomba, Bombas socks. They're my favorite. Um, and that's not a commercial. I just love the Bombas socks. They're my favorite. Um, but yeah, you know, okay. So let's get to what everyone is talking about. <sighs> everyone in tech is just, you know, OpenAI, Sam Altman. It just the whole weekend was a roller coaster. Um, I think anyone that's listening to this podcast was probably following things, but obviously Friday night before Thanksgiving week, you know, news breaks, uh, he's out, um, you know, yeah, just is... everything was crazy. And then it's like, no, wait, he's back. No, he's not going to go now. Uh, you know, Satya Nadella, was it last, <sighs> it was the today at like, it was like this night, morning, three, like... three AM in this morning. I don't know. My phone was going crazy. Um, it was like, no, uh, we're hiring Sam and Craig. And, and yeah, and then today it was like, what, 500 employees are. It was like watching a sports team trade down. players. It was insane. It was, it was just. Too much. It, it felt like <laughs> It felt like six months of tech news in a weekend. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I said, and, and no one wins. There's, no. no, I take that back. Microsoft wins. Microsoft wins. Microsoft, Microsoft, wins. Microsoft almost didn't, right? But yeah, I was like, yeah, man, yeah. that was. Um, who someone called, I was listening to a video and someone called it a jujitsu move. And I'm like, yes. I mean, Satya definitely had that jujitsu move that the big winner here is Microsoft hands down. Yeah, right. Yeah, they yeah. still, their investment in, you know, their investment in open AI, they still have to make that work. Um, but I mean, the biggest loser here in my perspective is in some ways open AI from a brand perspective, just taking the lens of like the brand and, and, and companies like, uh, yeah, just I disagree. so much drama. Oh, Really? Okay. I, well, how about this? I, the, the, I think don't the get me wrong. They're going to the board. They're, I they're think losing. The board definitely. Yeah. Like, like OpenAI is in in trouble. They went from owning a Ferrari to owning a popcorn stand. Like I I don't yeah. like. There's there's no doubting that. But I think the biggest loser is the users. Um, Ooh, yeah. good point. Because good point. if you go and this is the thing no one is talking about. Mm-hmm. I have not seen a single mention of this on LinkedIn. So hopefully this is still relevant come Wednesday when the show goes live. But when you compare the terms of service that the user gets from using ChatGPT and OpenAI to utilizing Bing's AI implementation, the amount of rights restrictions go completely out the window. So we will, like, if this goes to Microsoft, as it looks like it's going to, the rights ownership to the user is significantly more restricted under Microsoft than it is currently under a company called open open AI right uh, now how long that was gonna stick around with open AI I don't know but we're I mean if you just look at what is currently in print right now there is a stark difference in approach when you compare the terms of service in those two companies it's it's gonna be interesting I mean I think before what happened this weekend, I saw OpenAI as kind of this up and like just a, a huge player, right? 
huge player in the AI space. I mean, it was nice to see like a new name mm-hmm. that wasn't the incumbents, right? And you're like, oh, wow, like everyone's, you know, everyone's trying to partner with them. Everyone's trying to be with OpenAI in some ways, in, in some level. But this, like this definitely, in my perspective, does set back OpenAI as a oh, company for sure. Totally. Like Undeniable. Yeah. I don't know if they come yeah. back from it, to be totally honest. I don't, yeah. like... They they speed ran Elon Musk owning Twitter. Like it just they it was the wildest, like what are you doing and why was the breath of the internet um as yeah. as we watch this happen. And and to be to be fair, we still don't know. Uh it, yeah. as t- to date, we don't know what was the pivotal moment here, why this happened. Uh, it's still a massive question mark, but I, I think we'll, we'll watch it in a next Netflix or Apple TV show oh, or goodness. something. Someone's going to write the, we work, you know, um, what was it? We crashed. We cr- Remember that TV series? <laughs> and uh, it was like Hulu. I think they're going to do something with open AI. Who knows? Someone's writing that script right now. I'm sure Man. trying to piece it together. Who knows? It's, it's um, weird. I, I couldn't keep up. I, I, I just, at one point I just disconnected, but then like 3am or whenever that tweet from Satya Nadella came out about hiring Sam and Greg, I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and all of that was so like, even that, that message of we, we still value our partnership with open AI. I'm like, <laughs> Now it's now this is turned into a Jerry Springer show <laughs> about <laughs> tech. Like all this is is is, is just Ooh. shade going back and forth. Wh- whoever thinks tech is boring, it's like no, <laughs> hold my beer, right? This is like wait, wait, we got it. Oh my gosh! But it was it was just a crazy weekend. Um, I will say two things that I'm observing beyond like we're we're not here to speculate. We're not here to like say oh oh we think this happened or this other mm-hmm. thing happened. That's not what we want to do. We don't know with our time. Um, I think there's plenty of podcasts covering that, plenty of articles that are like, oh, at this time they said this, and at this time they said that. That's not what we want to do. We want to discuss, like, who are the winners and losers? Like, wh- what happens um, from the user perspective as well, like you mentioned? We'll talk a little bit about how you're using it. Um, so what I'm hearing from a lot of the conversations right now is how close are we to general artificial intelligence, you know? Um, or actually AGI, I said it wrong, but... Um, how close are we? Is Was this really part of the conversation? Was this a fear of it? Um, and then aligned with that, with AGI, artificial general intelligence, I'm correcting myself. So <laughs> I think it's important to mention also that from a Silicon Valley perspective, the future of technology, the future of AI is being you know, debated by several factions, right? And I think there was an article in, I think, Fast Company and TechCrunch that talked about uh, effect, effective uh, j- effective ac- accelerationists that you and I talked about when the techno-optimist um, manifesto came out. So this vision of accelerate, no, no restrictions, move forward, um, you know, v- very interesting perspective. And then you've got what people are calling doomers, or D cells are like the the accelerationists, people that might be more more guarded. So there's this kind of interesting battle for the future of tech that is happening in Silicon Valley, you know, and across the ecosystem right now, focused on artificial intelligence as to which faction kind of moves forward. So it's a really interesting thing to 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 look at. Um, I've seen a lot of people talk about effective altruism, which is something that SPF, you know, before <laughs> before his fraud trial and everything. Bang up which job never with that did. one. That one, yeah. great. <laughs> um, before that, you know, the, he 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 talked about a lot. So, but I really think this is more effective accelerationism um, as opposed to 
what people are calling doomers or D cells. So it, it's a really interesting thing to explore because the vision, and if you lead that, you if you lead that techno optimist manifesto from Andreessen, it talks a lot about technology moving fast. Um, you know, no no guardrails. Like I I tend to be a person that is a techno optimist, not in the sense that he writes about it there, uh, but someone that believes that technology is good for society, that technology is going to move us forward. But I do believe there should be temperature checks or checkpoints, right? At, at some point to see like, is this, you know, is this going the way we want it to go? Is this truly being beneficial to society? So there is a balance there in my perspective that needs to be struck between, yes, moving fast moving super quickly, accelerating the speed of change. And I mean, the way technology is moving is incredibly fast, but also having temperature checks. I'm all about having temperature checks, checkpoints saying, okay, is this really where we want this to go? So I think there's a balance there that needs to happen because I'm neither, you know, I'm neither, I feel like I'm neither one nor the other. I'm somewhere in the middle. And I feel like a lot of people might be somewhere in the middle as well. It, it's as if like AI in general needs to build its own version of the Autobahn, right? Like, yeah, you can go mm -hmm. super fast, but there's still some regulation in place, right? Um, and and that's that has to come from not from the tech industry. That needs to come from legislation, which is woefully and continually behind. Uh, it needs to come from um, oversight committees, which are also continually woefully behind uh, because there needs to be guard guardrails put in place to protect society. I, I don't I don't claim to have the answers for that um, but we can't just go full bore into it because you're going to end up not being able to tell what's fact from fiction uh, and that's going to become problematic very quickly. Now I also don't think that AI is some secret sauce that can do all. I don't. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's a it's at least a, not yet. <laughs> no, it's it's a. We don't. It, we're not. We're not there at AGI yet. So no, no. And I think what's going to slow us down from that is strictly physics. Um, the you have to have processing power to be able to do a lot yeah. of this, and our, our processing power in today's modern times is fantastic, but. Um, you know, we are kind of reaching the point of, of null returns when it comes to, you know, the, yeah. the exponential rate in which processing, you know, the Moore's law is, is reaching yeah. its pinnacle. Um, and so is it going to go full Skynet Terminator on us overnight? No. I no, it can't. Um, the the physics. Well, I don't think it's going to go that way. Like <laughs> my hope is it doesn't, right? I don't think it's going to be like you know. But that's the doomer. Skynet, that's the doomer. Like, that's the doomer right? scenario, like, right? Which yeah, no. Um, but but then again, like if you say the word guardrails, it's like it's a bad word. I'm like no, like I, that's why I've resorted to saying temperature checks and checkpoints because I feel like people are like, okay, that sounds better. Um, well, but, anyone but yeah, who looks it, at this interesting. And, anyone who looks at this and thinks regulation is a bad word has bad intention. Um, like that's, maybe they don't even realize it yet, but when you simply look at the differences between how we function and protect children, you know, online through like the EU comparative to the U S, um, well, one is doing a much better job than the other, uh, yeah. because one has regulation and one doesn't. And so like, I, I, I don't 
immediately default to, oh, regulation's the naughty word that no one wants to hear. It's like, eh, if, if, if that's giving you a red flag, uh, what are you really trying to accomplish here? Um, so something to keep in the back of your mind, at least for me. Well, and that, that's a good point. I think we should have an episode where we bring an expert to talk about what to tell, what to, how to talk to children about AI. Yeah. Like, cause I've had several conversations with my kids already, especially the older ones, the youngest one too, cause she plays with AI in one of her games and she's had questions and stuff. She doesn't play with, you know, GPT, chat GPT or anything. Cause she's a little too young. The older ones, you know, have played around with it. So, uh, and they're using it in, in some manner or form. So anyway, just crazy, crazy week. And how are you, you know, you talk about the user being the loser here, right? The, yeah. the user that's, you know, you using chat GPT on a daily ba- basis that might be creating GPTs that might thought, you know, like, I'm going to create a GPT and make tons of money. What are you, you know, you're using in a very interesting way. What yeah. is, what is your perspective here? On that? Uh, you know, so like for me, as I was, as I mentioned earlier, I just wrapped this first draft of a novel and I do not necessarily have the best grammatical, you know, talents in the world. Uh, and it's funny enough, as I started writing this, the first half of like the book was in present tense. And then somewhere in the middle, I was like, nah, this isn't reading correctly. And I switched the past tense and it all made sense. So I have to like go through and change so much of this book from past tense to present or present tense to past tense. So I've actually just been utilizing ChatGPT to make that conversion. It doesn't rewrite anything. It just goes through the verbs and says, okay, these need to become past tense. It's a fantastic use case for it uh, or grammatical changes. Um, and you, we, we were talking earlier and you asked why I didn't use yeah. like just a, I a asked grammar you, check. Is, is it grammar? Yeah. Why not use Grammarly and did it hallucinate? Like did it mess <laughs> anything up? Because that was my big question. No, and that was what was amazing is like, so when you use a grammar check, you have to go through and approve everything one by one. And it just is time consuming. This just re-spit out the text and then I could ask it what difference, what changes did it make? And then it would just list those changes. And I could at a glance go, oh, okay, you just added a bunch of comments, took made, you know, compound sentences make more sense. And then, okay, great. Um, and it didn't change any of the writing at all. Uh, so like that was a good use case for me. And in ChatGPT through OpenAI's terms of service, I own all of that. Like it, there's no question this was my original intellectual property. It's I'm using it to basically make some grammar changes and then, you know, it's fine. Um, and if I don't want it to train, I can turn that function off. So like it yeah. literally just basically exists in cache and as a file and, you know, it's whatever. Uh, but I went and read the exact same thing for if I went and used like Bing's chat service, uh, AI service and no uh, they they don't necessarily own the output like I can still utilize that for whatever I want mm-hmm. but whatever that output is they have and their terms of service blatantly says they can utilize this in any of their marketing any of their feeds any of their shares mm-hmm. like they can use it for whatever they want um, and and that's pretty standard I'm not that's not like yeah, shame yeah. on Microsoft that's pretty standard I'm just saying but there is a stark difference between that terms of service that you're using that tool for and the terms of service for something that was originally built to be basically an open nonprofit yeah. that is slowly trying to figure out its identity So that leads me to the question Lee open AI <laughs> fad or future oh, it it might already be done um that's I, and I hate that. Uh, I don't know if they do what they say they're going to do. If they've done what they've said their whole plan is, and they actually leave this stuff available to the community to continue to develop, it very well could continue on um, and and be powerful. Is it going to be 
the 80 billion dollar you know behemoth in the room probably not i think they might have <laughs> probably not they probably shot that in the foot by accident um yeah you know i would hate to say i would hate to see them have like a fire sale eventually and i just i hope yeah i hope who knows? Who knows what's going to happen with them? I'll say this, and I think you'll agree. Fat or future? Definitely the underlying technology they worked on and that they pushed the industry to like to innovate so quickly. Definitely future. I think it's going to remain, you know, artificial intelligence is going to keep keep being like something a lot of people are going to work on and everything. As a company, whew, it might be it might be done. It might be done. But we'll have to see. I do hear that the person that they brought in as the... <laughs> The third CEO, <laughs> the current interim CEO, is really good at building businesses. So we'll have to see. We'll have to see what happens. I but, mean, they could fire sell the oof. thing and it gets sold off completely to Microsoft at the end of the day. That's all yeah. speculative. Who knows? I'm sure that's Who what knows? they're banking on. Like, it's, <laughs> we'll, we'll know probably before this episode goes live. <laughs> yeah. Well, talking about that, I mean, they're going to need tons. They're going to continue to need tons of compute power. Right, and that's part of the they credits that they're getting. From, they're, yeah. they're, they need brain power. They need brain power and compute power. They're and like, shedding they're, talent. Yeah, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Well, I actually saw this. Like a lot of companies jumping quickly. Yeah. Uh, Salesforce, Salesforce CEO posted on 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 Twitter saying, "Hey, if you're thinking of leaving, we'll give you a great offer. Reach out to me. Send me your CV to CEO at Salesforce." Like I was just like all these like CEOs, recruiters. Everyone's like, I mean, because the talent pool they had, like the bench at OpenAI was just like, you know, would make anyone drool. So we, we yeah, are at the talent precipice. Talent's ready to jump, they're going to take it. This is the precipice of the AI Wild West, and mm -hmm. it is exactly like the uh, Wild West of the birth of the internet, uh, you know, mm -hmm. for the public space. It, it's 1995 all over again, um, just with a different technology. Like none of these, tech, none of the big, companies know exactly what they're doing and they're all going to fight for the talent where they can find it because the talent is a scarcity right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and eventually it'll become everyday commonplace and we'll move on to the next thing. Uh, it's, it is kind of entertaining to watch right now though. Yeah. It's, oh my goodness. It was a circus, true circus this weekend. Um, okay. So now we're going to move on to our next, uh, it's kind of a story. Uh, we're going to go into a few things, but, um, I did want to share with our listeners as we head into this next story, uh, that I had the chance, it's a lifelong dream of mine, uh, to publish something in the Harvard business review. Oh, that's right. And yes. And I was, um, you know, I've been working on an article for a very long time and I was able to find finally to publish it. Uh, last week, it is called What Leaders Need to Know About Spatial Computing. It's it's an article just kind of helping the industry understand what is spatial computing, what isn't spatial computing, how is it being used currently, what are some of the benefits. Uh, it was a lo much longer article, right? But I went through a, a wonderful editing process with uh, with my editor there, and it was a learning experience. I'll tell you, like the the content that Harvard Business Review puts out, everyone knows this, right? It's fantastic. The process of publishing with them was amazing. It was long, but I learned so much. It was, yeah, it was like a life experience, a complete life experience. So, what was your what would what would yeah. you say like top of your mind? Because I didn't prep you for this question. Yeah, biggest takeaway. Biggest takeaway that maybe some of us that work in tech we're in this bubble, so you know you know, 10 hours a day, <laughs> however long we're in, in the bubble working and we're used to speaking in certain terms and having everyone understand what we're saying. 
And when you're writing for a broader business audience, right, highly educated, broader business audience, you have to start, you have to kind of make, make it make sense. And we get so lost in the tech jargon, right? That biggest takeaway is like, we needed a definition for the business world, a definition that wasn't rooted in just technology, that wasn't rooted in, you know, in, in a lot of jargon, even though, you know, the, the definition we came up with was really good. I've refined it further with, uh, with Irina Cronin, who's my co-author for my new book. Um, so I'll share it with you here. If you want, I'll share it here with you. Uh, I'll, I'll read, I'll read the definition that we, that I put forth in, um, in the article, Actually, I don't have that here in front of me, but I'll read, I'll read the definition that Irene and I have crafted and that we're using when we think of spatial computing, right? So there is some tech jargon here, right? And this one, it does have some tech jargon, but I'll read it to you right now. Uh, so spatial computing is an evolving 3D-centric form of computing that, at its core, uses AI, computer vision, and extended reality to blend virtual experiences into the physical world that break free from screens and make all surfaces spatial interfaces. It allows humans, devices, computers, robots, and virtual beings to navigate through computing in 3D space. It ushers in a new paradigm for human-to-human -human interaction, as well as human-computer interaction, enhancing how we visualize, simulate, and interact with data in physical or virtual locations, and expanding computing beyond the confines of the screen into everything you can see, experience, and know. Spatial computing allows us to navigate the world alongside robots, drones, cars, virtual assistants, and beyond, and is not limited to just one technology or just one device. It's a mix of software, hardware, and information that allows humans and technology to connect in new ways, ushering in a new form of computing that could be more impactful, even more impactful than personal computing and mobile computing have been to society. So what I want with that, and that's really long, is for people to understand that we're not talking just about VR hardware. We're not just talking about, you know, a spatial computing device from Apple. We're not just talking about humane AI pin. We're talking about a shift in computing, a shift in human-to-human -human communication, a shift in human-computer interaction, right? And it's about a 3D-centric way of computing. Um, and a lot of people think it's only, I hate when I hear this, when people just say spatial computing equals mixed reality. I'm like, you're missing the point. It is about a lot of different technologies coming together to push this forward. So AI, computer vision, extended reality, a lot of different things. So it's hardware, it's software, it's, it, you know, it's data and it's connectivity. Those to me are the most important elements of spatial computing. It's not just the hardware. I feel like as, 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 you know, as humans, we tend to over like kind of get obsessed with the hardware and in tech, we especially do, but it's a much, much broader conversation. So, you know, you and I have been working in spatial for a long time, mm -hmm. uh, spatial computing for a long time. So thoughts. Uh, I mean, I started in spatial computing, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I, I was one of those early, you know, developers who were finding different use cases for the, Xbox 360 Connect back in 2011, and that's spatial computing. Um, you know, we called it something completely different back then, but it fits right into that space. And you know, it it all of that is part of it. It's not just in a headset. It's not just visual. Mm -hmm. Spatial computing could be one day turning on your television as you set it up in your new living room of your new home, and it scans the room and acoustically corrects its audio output, right? That's still spatial computing because it has mm -hmm. to see the space. It has to see and understand your world in three dimensions. Um, it's, if it's done right, it should have 
millions of applications that you don't ever even think about. Um, mm -hmm. and, and yeah, the VR gaming, AR gaming, mixed reality gaming will be part of it. The way that we interact with wearables will be part of it. But um, it, it's something that extends far beyond that. Yeah. In every space, it makes every space a spatial interface, right? Right. So like you said, audio, like there's so many different levels to spatial computing. And I hate it when I see people just saying, oh, it's just mixed reality or it's just a device. Yeah. Um, because it's so much broader, broader than that. And I truly believe it in some ways it's the way for AI to have eyes and ears, right? Eyes sure. and ears into the world for yeah. us to navigate the world around robots and, and all these, you know, virtual beings and all these sorts of things that are enabled through computer vision and AI. Well, so, yeah, I go back yeah. to what I've been saying for the last year and is we, we keep trying to, we keep trying to say that, you know, a a piece of technology is going to be like the one thing to rule them all because we're all currently ruled by our, you know, cell phones because it is such a Swiss army knife of a, of a technology device. But really I think it's just going to break down into smaller little pieces of devices that do one thing very well. And it'll be embedded in all things, you know, we had this obsession about, you know, uh, the, the internet of things back in the, mm -hmm. you know, the 2010s. And I think it was an interesting concept, but it kept trying to make itself TV for some reason. I don't know why, <laughs> but there is something valuable to the concept of, of this like network of devices that do little things everywhere and they can communicate and learn from each other, uh, and make mm -hmm. your life streamlined and better. Uh, and, you know, inevitably lead to Skynet where a Terminator comes and destroys us all. <laughs> yes, Doomer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. But um, I, I think for me, it's thinking through spatial computing as kind of this next iteration, right, of, of how we engage with technology in a totally different way and how robots and virtual content and all these all these sorts of things see our world navigate across it with us you, and, you talk to i mean just kind of you're talking to enterprise people every day mm -hmm. you know um yeah. what are we doing wrong you know what 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 is the in what is the tech industry missing to get through to the people you're talking to like what, what's that gap because there is a gap there's there's this knowledge gap and and there is a knowledge you're doing gap, what right? you can to like paste it over but What's the industry doing wrong? Well, that's that's a big thing. Like a big focus of mine in, in 2024 is going to be helping educate more folks on, you know, on spatial computing and kind of its impact and how I see it being a very significant, you know, shift in the next couple of years. So, you know, as I, my team and I develop, you know, try to develop for Apple Vision Pro, which is not easy, uh, as you and I know. It's not um, cheap either. It's not cheap either. Yeah, <laughs> tell I mean, me about it. Really, I if just you got a, Mac, a new MacBook Pro, you got to have a um, new Mac, MacBook Pro. This is this is a real issue that I'm I'm coming up against. Mm -hmm. There's there's a there's a barrier to entry to develop for this device that is going to keep the every the every man from being able to develop for this thing. Right, you have to have the device. You have to have a, a, a MacBook Pro that can support the device, which is two thousand dollars right now you have to have the commercial unity license which is uh, who knows because they keep changing what their terms of service are that was a whole other meltdown from earlier this year and then you've got to have your apple uh developers license as well mm -hmm. so like you start you start adding these things up and you're into the like thousands and thousands of dollars to become a developer to maybe put an app on the device now that doesn't mean I'm not going to do it. 
I still think the device is a hit. Yeah, we're still doing now, it. <laughs> I, that's that's not, but that is flagging that there's a financial discrepancy of like not everyone can actually develop for this device, and that means that there's going to be developers who just due to their current financial status is they're going to be muted. They're going to be just not able to good get good ideas out there. So I don't know. We'll see how that reflects. Well, um, I think with with everything, Lee, I think the cost will go down eventually, right? And then with AI, hopefully this will this might get easier <laughs> for yeah, the, yeah. you know, the, the for certain people. So we'll see. I know right now it's hard, right? It's it's hard to develop, but I do believe there is a big future. I do think people we tend to and I do this myself. I have to say I'm guilty of it of thinking of spatial computing and these devices as replacing our mobile phones, and I do think mm. they will replace our mobile phones, but they will probably replace our computers before they replace our mobile phones. So I, I want to be realistic about that. And, and I get asked, like, when do people need to pay attention to this? In, in the Harvard article, which we're going to include a link to it in the show notes, um, and I, you know, urge you to read it, urge you to share it out. Uh, we, t- you know, I talk a lot about like maybe because of the current state of AI, right? People are focused on AI. Maybe it's not something you need to pay attention to today or next week, but it is going to be something that you're going to have to pay attention to in the next couple of years, in the next decade for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So that being said, spatial computing, fad or future? Oh, it's future. There, there's, there's. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> I knew we were going to align on that one. For I would. Sure. Uh, we would just. Ha- I would hang up this podcast if you said, "Oh, it's a fad." Like that. <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. That would go against everything I worked for for so long and everything I believe when it comes to my version of techno optimism. So <laughs> no, no, no. I think we're, we're aligning on that. Um, I do want to mention uh, Lily, our producer, and myself. We. Uh, for the launch of the Apple Vision Pro, we, we knew it was coming, right? So on June 5th, we actually had written a mini book, a free mini book resource uh, that is called A Wearable World. Uh, so awearableworld.com. We're included in the show notes. A wonderful free mini book. It's a free resource uh, on spatial computing, on this AI, AR, XR-powered future. So yeah, definitely, Absolutely you know, fantastic. definitely, you know, review that. Share it out if you guys want. It's a free resource. It's a wonderful mini book. So um, definitely want to mention that because we worked really hard on that. We got it. We worked super fast on it. I, I would tell you that. All right. Now let's go into some of the other news. And they are related to spatial computing. Uh, Rokid. Uh, did I pronounce that correctly? Rokid? You got Rokid, me. I guess Rokid. Let's, let's Rokid, assume you did. Yeah. yeah. Rokid just raised a ton of money and has become another XR unicorn. Value, valued at $1 billion. Um, they are, uh, I've actually demoed, de- demoed their, their technology a couple years ago at CES, but yes, just the company in the space that is working on, uh, you know, a, you know, a headset, um, glasses really. And they, yeah, they've just been valued over in over $1 billion. So that's one story. We don't need to go over all of them, but those are just things that are happening. Another one, um, is spatial, uh, spatial, the company, <laughs> Um, actually is going into user-generated gaming. They're pivoting a little bit into gaming. Um, you've been, you've used Spatial before, right? I've used it a, a ton. Yeah. So. Uh, I, th- there are aspects of Spatial. So for those who don't know, Sp- Spatial is kind of, uh, was created as like a, a v- originally a VR meeting place that allowed a really good integration with people who didn't have VR. Um, and, and for that, they it, it does 
very well. Um, so you can create a space and then send out a link. And if people don't have a VR headset, uh, they can join from their desktop and it doesn't take a bunch of like software installations. It goes through the browser. It's incredibly seamless. Uh, it's probably one of the more seamless, better meeting applications out there. Um, and pretty much everyone could take a lesson from them on that. Uh, I do think that they try to push in interesting directions. They experimented with the NFT space, which um, is a divisive uh, conversation. <laughs> NFT is uh, a bad word too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm done, not, not for me, but I think a lot of people don't like it. <laughs> It's a, it's a little it's a little triggering for a lot of people, um, but they you know trying to actually bring that technology as as a art piece into people's spaces, uh, and I think this is the next iteration of where it actually makes more sense for them to go. Um, they've got a great platform. They've got the the infrastructure of their platform makes a lot of sense, and the ability to just easily connect for meetings is great. So to be able to put together some user-generated engine behind it. I'm guessing it's probably going to be based off of Unity. I, I, I'm just gut reaction from, it looks like a Unity application. I'd have to do some research. But uh, to be able to do that and have some like user-generated uh, control over over the, uh, the engine would be welcomed. I think it could be great. I think it'd be great. I think it'd be great for the platform. Um, they've always been innovating, always being, you know, kind of trying to figure out what, the next step is for them. They were one of the first ones to use like a photo to create yeah. a kind of more realistic avatar of yourself Yeah, uh, with legs. <laughs> so hats off to them. They, they were one of the first ones to really go in all in on the, um, on the avatars. I loved it. And, and yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's unity. It has to be unity based. Like it looks unity based. You, once you do this right? long enough, you can look at these games and, look, and, you, can, and yeah. you can like, flip a logical coin and probably yeah. get it right most of the time. Um, most of the time. I've been yeah. wrong a handful of times. <laughs> this definitely feels like it's unity based, um, which is not a, a dig by any means. Like I don't oh, want people yeah. to think that I'm saying something negative about unity. Like most of the, most of the user generated mm -hmm. worlds out there that do these type of things, VR chat, unity based. I'm a huge yeah. fan of VR chat, like, uh, uh, even rec room unity based. Um, so like it make, it would just, it just makes logical sense that that's probably the direction that it is. Uh, but I'd have to go research. I'm not sure. Yeah. So I say, you know, congratulations to spatial on going into user generated, yeah, awesome. uh, gaming. I love it. I love it for them. I, I will tell you this. So Izzy, <laughs> my, uh, my chief executive assistant is actually really good at building in spatial. Really? It's a skill. Yeah, most people don't know she has that skill, but we had a project last year and I, she literally spearheaded the whole thing. Um, you know, it was a small little thing for, for something I was doing. And I was like, Izzy, how do you do this? And she learned how to build, um, you know, it's, I don't know. Uh, it was, it was a wonderful, awesome. wonderful yeah. thing to know that she can build there. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so go Izzy. Uh, you know, so I want to move on. Now that we're talking about spatial and gaming, and we always talk about gaming in, in, in this podcast, people love it when we talk about gaming. Uh, I want to talk about something. We were going to talk about it last year. I mean, last year, <laughs> last week. <laughs> Soon I will be last year, but no, we're going to talk about it last week. But Roblox uh, actually released a Roblox digital expressions report about everything from fashions to avatars. Uh, the report collected data from over 1,500 Roblox users between the ages of 14 and 26. So, so mostly Gen Z, I guess. Gen Alpha is 
13 and younger. So Gen Z. So for Gen Z, uh, they say we learn, we learn that there is a symbiotic relationship between digital and physical fashion, which is something I've, you know, talked about at great length in a lot of the work I do. 52% say they're comfortable budgeting $10 each month on digital fashion. So not a huge number, but still, I think it's an important That's number. That's a to, Netflix to think about. subscription. Good point. Good point. Yes. 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 That if you think about it that yeah. way, good point. <laughs> That's not yeah. insignificant. Mm-hmm. It says forty-seven percent of survey respondents say it's very or extremely important to wear fashion from a recognized brand when they're in game. Hmm. Roblox reports highlights the Roblox report highlights Gen Z's sense of digital sense of digital self-expression. It also says fifty-six percent of Gen Z say that styling their personal avatar is more important than their physical style, up from 42% from last year. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I completely agree with that. We have moved to a space, and I think, you know, the time that everyone had to basically spend indoors during COVID uh, is, is a, was a pivotal moment in this generation's uh, upbringing. And people were shocked that they were spending money on brand name digital items and it seemed ridiculous and i'm to me there's a logical connection of Mm -hmm. you buy a a brand name item to be seen with that brand name um maybe we don't want to admit that but that's what we do uh and and there's a lot of flexing as the kids say when it comes to oh yeah i've got new air jordans or oh i've got a (laughs) gucci bag or whatever right um so if most of your interactions all of a sudden for like two years are online in platforms like roblox then is it not more important to be seen with that online than in than to own it in the real world where you're not actually going outside to show it right like you got to take that that period of time and understand that it's just kind of like expounding past that mm-hmm. uh there's so much of our, our life is now becoming digital um that it's the it's the um, uh accumulation of all of the hype that sur- surrounded a blue check mark from twitter that's an interesting point that's a really interesting point. It's like, a, especially with, you know, these, these, uh, these gaming worlds becoming kind of the new social networks. Yeah. And as you were speaking, I was thinking a lot about like in the physical world, there's this trend called uh, quiet luxury, right? Uh, where it's like, you're, you know, you're wearing Loro, Loro Piana or something. You're wearing a brand that, you know, you're not wearing the labels, but you know, if people know what the brand is, they'll know you're wearing a, you know, a $500 uh, cashmere, you know, <laughs> Sure, I won't know. Worry. You'll know. I won't know. <laughs> I'll know. Or a three hundred dollar, you know, cap. Um, but, but yeah, I feel like maybe quiet luxury is for the physical world. Mm. <laughs> Aspirational fashion is more for the virtual world. At least right now, there's no quiet luxury in the virtual space. You want to flaunt it. You want to flex right. it. You want to wear it. You want to show up with it. And um, and I do. You know, I I I've spent money on my avatar. Like I remember when Stella McCartney had these sunglasses, these sunnies that came out. I I bought them. I wanted the Stella McCartney sunnies for my avatar. So I I do. You know, I have bought like brand brand things. Maybe not a you know a very expensive virtual Gucci purse because I'd rather buy the physical one. Right. But for my kids, I'll tell you this. Like if I tell them, hey guys, let's go to Target to get some clothes or wherever, like wherever I'm taking them right, to buy clothes, they will roll, roll their eyes. Like they're like, I don't want to go, mom. This is like torture. And we do it a couple of times a year, right? Because they're growing. 
But if I say, hey, guys, here's $50 to go buy clothes for your avatar in your virtual house, um, they would be like, oh, my gosh, absolutely. They would, like, destroy those $50 in, you know, in, in, in like, 10 minutes. Yeah. Right? They would be yeah. like, okay, Robux. Uh, so that's one thing. For them, how they show up, like, they enjoy it more, definitely, than, than physical shopping, at least for now at their ages. And then the other thing is, like, and I've said this, I've said this to media, I've said this multiple times my kids can do the conversion in their heads of dollars <laughs> dollars to virtual currency. Uh, they can't do that with, you know, euros or maybe some other currencies. But if you tell them, oh, hey, honey, you're getting $40 for Christmas, they'll immediately tell you how much that is in Robux. So I find that just really it. interesting that's significant. That is, that's yeah, hilarious. Yeah. Like immediately they'll tell you how much the conversion is. I'm like, ah, okay. So very, very interesting uh, let's see what else. Um, it says up to 42% of Gen Z respondents said that they expanded their fashion to reflect their digital style. I could see that so, too. I love you, that. You have a, you have a field of, of self-expression and I see a lot of this like happen through um, platforms like VRChat where you have a lot more control of user generating your, your content. Um, and so people go, Oh, oftentimes off the deep end when it comes to that platform. Uh, but I've, I've also, I know quite a few people in real life that utilize this platform and their, their fashion sense changes to reflect more of what they've been able to experiment with digitally. Cause you can kind of do it there first. It's almost like an etch-a-sketch, right? Mm -hmm. And then if you don't like it, you can quickly, you, there's no real investment. We're, we're talking about through like VR chat where you're actually designing mm -hmm. your own stuff. Um, and, and, that can kind of lead to more of a, an open familiarity of self-expression when, because you're looking at yourself in a mirror, even though you're in an avatar, like that's the mirror dwellers of VR chat. This is a thing, right? Where people <laughs> just put on, put on a VR headset and they look at their avatar in a mirror. Like that's, kind of creepy um but uh that is that's part of it so i can totally understand yeah if you've been able to experiment with your fashion sense in in a platform like roblox and seeing that adapt i mean that's the whole point right is yeah. uh, i would assume that's why they created nike land uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> that, well or, or, or i've seen my kids be like oh i wish i could have this in the physical world right right i wish i could wear this or i wish this was a t-shirt or i wish that blah 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 so I have noticed that with them as well, right? Where it's something virtual that they wish they had in the physical world that they would totally buy or wear. So excited, you know, excited for the future, definitely of, of fashion, that convergence of physical and virtual, um, self-expression, everything that's happening there. Uh, so Lee, fat or future virtual oh, fashion? I think I, th I think it's I think it's the future. Um, it hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's hand in hand with self-expression at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not going to change. Yeah. It, you know, I've even like invested in, uh, I, you, I think you might know this, but I don't know if you do, that I launched a, um, a, an endowed scholarship with Florida International University. It's called the Kathy Hackle Virtual. You didn't know this. I didn't know this. It's called the Kathy Hackle Virtual Fashion Scholarship, Endowed Scholarship. So it's helping, at least for now, one student um, be able to go to school at Florida International and specialize in virtual fashion. And because I do believe that the fashion, you know, the fashion designers of the future, some of them are going to be from platforms like Roblox and Fortnite, maybe spatial. Right. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I've, I've put some money into creating these endowed, this endowed scholarship that I'm hoping to grow because I do believe that. And there's a famous quote. You've heard me say this. I've said the world's next Coco Chanel is probably a 10 year old girl designing skins in Roblox or whichever platform. Right. 
Uh, and I do wholeheartedly believe that. So I'm, you know, I've put some some money where my mouth is in that sense. You didn't know that. No, as I didn't know that. That's amazing. And I and I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, one of my very good friends who's, uh, he designed sneakers in Gravity Sketch, which is a VR application. Mm-hmm. He just got really into it. Um, and he ended up becoming a shoe designer for Adidas. Um, and, and like, wow. he does that full time now, but he started really young guy um he like right out of high school he kind of fell into the vr space and he got really into it and he was prolific with the program called gravity sketch and he could just quickly mock up shoes like no one had ever seen before and sure enough yep they snatched him up and now that's what he does he's he's a he's a shoe designer uh professionally but his medium wasn't sketching it was in vr he never used another tool uh and that that was when it clicked amazing yeah that's really cool hmm well, I hope that there's going to be more people like him, right? And that they're going to be able to find scholarships like the one I, I launched with Florida International to be able to educate themselves and learn. And, because I was seeing like a lot of universities creating these programs, but I'm like, but someone needs to help fund the students yeah. that are actually going to go and do this. So yeah, that was you can my, create my the programs and if they can't afford to go, what, mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you going to do? Then, yeah, great. Yeah, Got to be able to send the kid there. So, um, and talking about a little bit, this is kind of like, and this is not from Dispatch from the Fringe, because Lily is going to join us with some, you know, crazy, crazy Dispatch from the Fringe. This is more of like a weird trend that I found out about um, over the weekend. It is the Uncanny Valley makeup trend. Hashtag you sent me this Uncanny article, Valley, and it's hashtag creepy. Robot core. No, creepy. Like it. it is creepy, but like it. it's really interesting. You don't like it? It's too freaky for you? It's It's too weird. It's too weird. Go ahead. Well, tell say them what hello it is. to Robot Core. Yeah, <laughs> I'll yeah. tell folks a little bit what it is. So um, it was originated by creator Amelia Barth, who coats her face, neck, and ears and lips in pale foundation and concealer, mimicking the plasticky skin of a robot. It has amassed over eight eight hundred and sixty five million views under the hashtag Uncanny Valley, also hashtag Robot Core. Freaky, freaky. Yes, because you know. <laughs> It definitely looks freaky, but very interesting. I was like, maybe I should show up at one of my speaking engagements in Uncanny Valley makeup. Hey, look, I know there's there's <laughs> there's gonna be people who are into it for all kinds of reasons. Um, it's but it's strange. It it, it does look very strange. Uh, that Uncanny Valley is uh, kind of nightmare fuel. <laughs> <in many> <laughs> I mean, here's so the we'll thing. We'll include if links. We'll include links for sure in the the show notes. If if it's like Comic Con cosplay, I'm down. Like I totally yeah. see it. But if like that's your style all the time, <laughs> like that's just what you choose to do. More power to you. There's going to be there's a subculture for everything. Um, but man, it is it is uh, unnerving uh, to some people, including <laughs> myself. <laughs> That is hilarious. Well, we'll definitely include a link because it is freaky, but pretty interesting to watch the trends on TikTok, right? All right, what's, so fatter future. Trending there in makeup. <laughs> huh? Fatter, fatter, fatter future. future. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm going to go. It's a fad. Yeah. Well, well I'm afraid okay, I'm going to okay. say fad and it's going to turn into the future and then I'm just going to just be unnerved for the rest of my life. <laughs> Let's hope it's a fad. Let's hope so. Let's hope. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Um, all right. So uh, I want to kind of uh, go, we need to go on break. Uh, I do want to share that we are going to be interviewing my friend, my friend, Greg Khan. He's the CEO of GK Digital Ventures and the president and CEO of Emerging Tech Exchange. We're going to be talking a lot about tech. Greg usually holds these amazing events all across the globe. 
I've been at several of his events. It's truly fantastic. Unites a lot of amazing thought leaders and business professionals together. Uh, we often we often joke that we share a brain. <laughs> he th- he thinks in some of the same ways I do, so it's been interesting. I run into him at all the events. I love seeing him seeing him everywhere. Um, he seems to be every, everywhere I am as well. So it's it's been wonderful to get to get to know him. So Greg is going to be our interview, and we're also going to have Lily do our dispatch from the fringe. And this week it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting. Um, so I'll let you explain when we get back from Breakley. Right. I am joined by my dear industry friend who I run into all the time. And I feel like we uh, we share we share a brain in some ways. Um, Greg, welcome to the show. Kathy, we do share a brain. Thrilled to be here and joining you. Awesome. So, Greg, can you tell folks a little bit about who you are, what you're doing, introduce yourself? I know a lot of people already know you in the industry, but you might be new to a few folks that are listening to the podcast. So, Greg, just introduce yourself, what you're doing, and uh, and we'll get into it. Sounds great, Kathy. So I'm an investor and an advisor in emerging tech, media, and advertising through GK Digital Ventures. And I also run an organization called Emerging Tech Exchange, where I bring companies, startups, and public sector executives together to forge business models in emerging tech. Um, and my background was I spent 10 years in film and television, so 10 years on the content side, 10 years in advertising and publishing, and the last 10 years in deep technology and investing. That's fantastic. And you also, we're probably going to talk about the dinners at some point, <laughs> the events you host, but you host the most amazing events. And um, I've been very lucky to be invited to that. So let's talk a little bit about your interest in emerging tech and the emerging tech uh, space. So was it always part of your career or did you gradually become immersed in tech? Like walk me through how you how you got really involved. Yeah, I, I've always been interested in innovation. So um, even starting on the the film and and television side, um, I was always about thinking about new business models that could be created for those industries. Uh, I started the first virtual film school in the world called Global Film School with UCLA uh, back in the year 2000 when we were were just emerging from the dial-up era. Um, and on the when I was on the the advertising side of the business, I helped to create new products and services for Publicis Group, 
Um, always thinking about ways to push the boundaries of advertising, the measurement of advertising, the creativity of advertising. And so in, in whatever part of the industry I was in, I was always looking for new business models, new ways to um, push companies forward. And it, it sort of led me um, in the you know early 2010s um, to, to seek out the next chapter, the last decade of my career in deep technology. And so I started, Kathy, at the time, something that was called the Internet of Things Consortium when we were talking about IoT uh, as one of the, the major underpinnings of the technology movement. Some called it the fourth industrial revolution. And, um, and from that time, I've just been really immersed in investing and advising companies and all the different technologies that have come to bear since that time and what they mean for traditional sectors. So not just technology for technology's sake, but how industry can evolve with these technologies, including the creative and advertising industries. And that's really interesting. I mean, you've always been early, right? I think just like me, we've always been early to certain to certain kind of trends and technological shifts. So I definitely see that in, in the work you're doing. Um, let's talk a little bit about what inspires you about emerging tech and maybe, I mean, you are advising some really amazing companies. So maybe talk about some of the companies you're advising or the ones you're investing in. I mean, everyone right now, I feel like the the, the VC side, um, you know, startups are trying to raise uh, funds and it's hard. It's a little bit hard right now. But what are you know, what what is exciting you about emerging tech? And tell us more about some of those companies you're advising and the ones you're investing in. Yeah, I mean, so let me start with what what excites me about emerging tech. I I'm a voracious voracious learner. I'm a, just a curious person. So, um, you know, it gives me the opportunity to be immersed with people and systems um, and and individuals that create um, that I wouldn't ordinarily have have you know exposure to. Uh, I love to to read. I love to to be immersed in in things that I don't know about, and I'm, I'm constantly seeking to to just you know, improve um, my knowledge of the world and how things work. And so that naturally lends itself to, to emerging technology. I, I also, hand in hand with that, as I, one of my passion areas is travel. Uh, always has been, um, always have traveled internationally, now do a lot of business internationally. And, um, you know, the, the, the ways that individuals adopt technology is dramatically different to where you are in the globe. Southeast Asia, to the Middle East, to Western Europe, to the U.S., to, to South America, to Africa, completely different exposure to, to technology and adoption rates in technology. And so I also find it fascinating just, you know, why is it different in different pockets of the, of the globe? What can we learn from that? What can we bring to the U.S. from that? What do we not want to bring to the U.S. from that? Um, so those are, those are um, reasons why, you know, I've always been curious about about tech. You know, the other thing I would say, Kathy, is I always believe that tech can improve our lives. It could, it could improve it from, you know, an equity standpoint, it could improve it from an efficiency standpoint, and it can improve it from just a general sense of, of, of balance and, and wellness um, and happiness. Um, and so, you know, I've always sought out, you know, technologies and companies that, that are, you know, not just, um, being developed because they can be developed, but but are being developed because they're actually helping in society. Um, you know, I think the second part of your question is what types of companies am I investing in and what types of companies am I advising? And I would say that my investment thesis is generally the intersection of media tech, emerging tech, 
and advertising. Um, but it, there's a there's a pretty broad range within that sector. Um, my last two uh, uh, investments were were in uh, a Web three company called Virtualness and a physical digital jewelry company called Bling uh, AI. And my my next one will be in the gaming space. So um, excited to kind of announce that soon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on the on the advisory side, you know, the the members of my consortium have ranged from almost every fortune, um, you know, 500 company in the, in the US. I mean, I've had uh, clients from General Motors to Disney to Comcast to MasterCard, um, you name it, the industry to Verizon, to Liberty Mutual Insurance. Uh, and I think the commonality is that technology um, enables and also disrupts every single industry out there. So there's an interest for companies to be part of that helping to shape what the future is, as opposed to just taking it once it's been fully formed. That's really fantastic. And I know like I've met some of the the founders of some of the companies you're advising, some of the ones you're investing in. Of course, I know a couple of the founders as well. Is there any any of these companies that you want to talk a little bit more about? You mentioned virtualness. Like, I'm curious to hear what are they doing? Yeah, virtualness is it's an incredible um, new company that was formed by Kirthika Reddy. And um, Kirthika, just to give her, you a little bit of background on, on her, uh, Kirthika was Facebook employee number one in India. And ultimately- oh, I met her. I met her at one of your dinners. She's fantastic. Yeah. Yes, she, she really is. You're both fantastic. Um, she, she went from, from Facebook, you know, so obviously was part of the movement in Web 2.0. Um, went from there to SoftBank and became an investor and and joined some of the top boards, um, uh, you know, in, including WeWork and and others, and then decided she wanted to get back to her entrepreneurial roots. And so, you know, she developed this this company. It's a platform, a mobile first platform that's created to assist brands and creators in in the Web three environment and. You know, they're really also working in the in the world of generative AI as as well. Um, you know, virtualness has has done done incredibly well in its short period of time. It's been in existence for about uh, a year. Has raised you know close to to ten million dollars in in seed funding, and they already have some incredible partnerships um, both in the U.S. but in particular in Southeast Asia. They're working with some of the top sporting leagues. Uh, in Southeast Asia. And so, you know, I think that it's it's really building on this movement of community, on decentralization, on creativity that Gen AI has, has brought forth, and the notion of what the future of loyalty is. Um, and they're just at the at the starting point of their journey. That's fantastic. I, I need to I need to have her on the podcast at some point. That that would be that would be wonderful. Um, I want to yep. change gears a little bit now, Greg, and and talk about there's a few things I want to get to. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the concept of the metaverse, <laughs> yeah. right? You and I connected early on because of, of the metaverse and everything that was happening. We're going through this period right now where I call it like a metaverse whiplash or like a metaverse like hangover and like people just don't want to even use the term. Um, you know, how how have the ideas about, about the metaverse and Web3 changed this year? And, and do you think that the word metaverse or the metaverse um, as an idea still has potency? What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, so... Let me let me start by saying I don't believe in hype cycles, Kathy. I, in fact, I have a Substack called Beyond the Hype Cycle because I think we've, you know, having started 
and run what was called the Internet of Things Consortium. IoT was a hype was a piece of the hype cycle. Yeah, that's in the true. Early 2010s, and you know, and moved to 5G and Web3 and and metaverse technologies and and crypto and now AI. And so there's always going to be um, phrases that are tossed around, technologies that are tossed around that the industry pumps up to be potentially um, bigger than it actually has the chance to achieve. And then once it doesn't achieve it within that period of time, then it tends to, to fall into this disillusionment um, you know, plateau. And, and I don't think either one is as dramatic. I think the point is that these are all underlying technologies that are working in tandem and some take longer to adopt and some adopt more robustly than others. And I think metaverse um, technologies, spatial computing or mixed reality or whatever we, we want to coin the phrase is falling into that, that, uh, that spectrum now. Um, you know, look, analysts jumped on board this notion of the metaverse and this notion of mixed reality and companies like Meta rebranded their entire business to be around um, metaverse technologies and the market wasn't ready for it yet. But the market will be ready for spatial computing and, and the, the, the pivot moment from my perspective, is when Apple releases Vision Pro. Now, do I expect Apple uh, Vision Pro to be, you know, off the bat, um, the unit that becomes mass? No, I don't. I don't. But what Apple tends to do, if you look at all of their launches, first of all, they have an enormous retail presence that Meta never had or some of the other players didn't have. So we've all seen the lines, Kathy, of people queuing up to get their latest iPhone or or watch or, or MacBook Pro or, or whatever the case may be. And, and now they'll have the opportunity to demo Vision Pro. So a lot more folks will get access to this outside of trade shows. That's number one. And number two is it's going to force, push really, uh, every other player in the space that either has been in, in it and is pulled out or is thinking about getting in it to develop their own products. So that includes the Samsungs, the LGs, the Googles, and then of course, the, some of the existing players, including you know, Magic Leap and HTC mm -hmm. and Lenovo and others. So I'm, I'm very bullish on it longer term. Um, I think you and I share a really common theme that we talk about a lot in, in industry, which is that we're moving to a post-mobile era where devices will get closer to the human senses. And so I'm a firm believer that, um, again, spatial computing um, in whatever form factor, it, it, whether it's sunglasses or, or some variation of goggles, um, is going to um, become part of mainstream. Um, the, again, the real pivot point is when Apple first launches uh, their yeah. product to the marketplace. And, and in this podcast, we've talked a lot about the Vision Pro, about spatial computing and, and things that are happening. I also think you talk about the retail footprint that Apple has, but I also think the developer, um, the developer community and network that they have is sure. one of the reasons that they're going to be successful. Yep. And, you know, they're already, you know, they're doing a lot of work with developers right now. Um, on, on, you know, on vision OS. So that, that's really interesting. What are you, I know we're, we're almost at time, but I kind of wanted to talk a little bit more about some of the work that you're doing across geographies. You mentioned that briefly that you're traveling quite a bit and you're noticing, you know, adoptions different across, uh, across the world. Um, one of the things that I always notice and I always tell people is like, once you leave the U S and you get into Latin America or developing countries, um, you start to notice that there's Huawei. Huawei's everywhere. The Huawei cloud, the Huawei phones, um, which is um, something that we don't really see here, obviously in the U.S. for for obvious reasons, and, and, and you know, and things that have been implemented. But what are your thoughts around the, you know, how technology is being adopted 
in other geographies? Or is there any specific region that you're that you're kind of more keen to look at, or that you're doing that you're starting to see a lot more work in? Yeah, it's it's an amazing question, Kathy, and I, th- I think we could probably devote an entire episode to to just this because um, there's so many exciting things that that are happening. At the same time, there are challenging things that are happening with the geopolitical tensions. But let me start with an area that I you know I've done a lot of work in Israel. So I just met with 25 AI um, companies prior to um, the end of the summer, and you know folks have been working on machine learning in Israel for decades. So this is not new, and it's more about honing on a specific industry verticals that um, may not have had that that first party data um, to feed their models. So I'll give you a couple examples. A company that is developing, you know, AI models for motorsports. So imagine every race car driver telematics that's that's aggregated from tracks across the world and is aggregated into a ticker that can then be placed on ESPN or Yahoo Sports or ones that are working specifically in agriculture. Um, those, are, those are particular things that are, were coming out of Israel. I think you know, the, the, the other piece to, to mention is that you know, some societies are, are mobile first. Um, you know, they, 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 they grew up, they did not have connectivity before the mobile phone and it's been an access point to them. And at the same token, they may not have the same exposure to retail that we have in the, in the US. So, you know, in places like Africa, as an example, there are just not as many retailers for obvious reasons. And so a lot of the, the you know, commerce aspects that are growing in Africa are very different than they would be in a, in a Western Europe or American um, region. Southeast Asia is very um, advanced in this area of mixed reality and also more advanced in Web3. Um, the Middle East, you know, outside of Israel, you know, territories like Saudi and, and UAE are rebuilding everything from scratch. So, you know, thinking about new physical digital experiences, they're building on the desert. They're building, um, you know, new forms of living out of thin air, uh, methods of living, methods of transportation, et cetera, that, that don't have any of the constraints of, of Western society. So there's so many different elements that, that come across the world. And I think we tend to have a very American-centric point of view when we're discussing technology, as we saw from the, the the wild success of TikTok, which which you know really took a lot of people by surprise in the U.S., obviously that that emanated out of China. So my my point of view is you have to really see you know what's happening across the world. Ultimately, we are in a in a you know a fluid society, and so you know the influences that are going to come to America are not just companies that are born in America. A hundred percent, I agree, and. That's a, a great way to kind of get to, to our last question, Greg. When you're thinking about the grand scheme of things, right, and the whole technology uh, landscape, right, obviously a generative AI taking over the headlines, it's part of that, what you, those hype cycles, right? <laughs> uh, and actually hype cycle was a name we almost thought about for this podcast, like as a, as a funny way to talk about oh. hype cycles. Um, not that we believe in them as more like a funny way to kind of play on play on words. But what are you, what do you think are, as you look at the next five years, which are maybe two or three of the technologies that you're most excited about or interested in, or that you think are going to have the most impact? Yeah, I, I, so I would say um, generative AI, I would say spatial computing mixed reality, and then I would say robotics. I think the, the, the three in combination, Kathy, are going to be 
dramatic um, transformations in, in, in industries. So there's a physical digital component to all of these as well. If you think about Gen AI, you know, you, you, you heard um, in the past couple of weeks that there are some companies that are percolating around the combination of hardware and Gen AI. So mm-hmm. I'm excited where that's going to head. Mixed reality, I think that the, the notion of what an experience is, you know, we, you and I have talked a lot about the, the impact that MSG Sphere has had, not just in Las Vegas, but inspiring people around the world around physical digital experiences. So when, I, when we talk about metaverse or spatial computing, it's not just in the home environment, but what that means for physical locations, I think it's a really exciting, rich territory. And then I, I mentioned the third, robotics. So robotics can do so much that we can't do today and um, or it's, or enter into spaces where it's too dangerous. So it can automate things in, in areas where, um, you know, things need to be automated, where there are risk factors. Think about oil and gas. Think about manufacturing. But also think about it from a human companion standpoint. One of the major um, opportunity areas and challenges in the U.S. is a population that's aging and aging in place. And so think about the role that robotics could play in terms of helping people age more gracefully. So those are the three areas that I'm most interested, excited about, bullish. But really, um, you know, when we have this conversation again, Kathy, in early 2024, I'm sure there'll be a new technology that comes to bear. And so I'm always open to what else is being developed. Well, Greg, thank you so much for for coming on on Tech Magic. We really appreciate it. So everyone, Greg Khan, Greg, where can they find you? If people want to connect with you, if people want to learn more about the work you're doing, where can they connect with you? Thanks so much, Kathy. So uh, they can reach me. I'm on Twitter at GK underscore ventures, or they can take a look at our website, uh, www.emergingtechexchange.com. And I look forward to meeting many of you. And thanks so much for having me on your incredible podcast. All right. So that was a great, great interview with Greg. Greg is a really interesting person to follow. He has a wonderful newsletter. I recommend everyone kind of sign up for his uh, Emerging Tech Exchange newsletter. And uh, yeah, I hope to see him at several events. I'm going to see him at CES next year and maybe Davos if I make it. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. But um, Lee, uh, I want to talk a little bit about, once again, I don't know how she does it. I don't know where she finds these stories. But Lily's Dispatch from the Fringe uh, this week is going to be weird. It's I mean, always I mean, I, weird. Rats it's always weird. But <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know what other word I need. I need more. I need a, you know, I need a thesaurus. I need more words for weird. Strange, captivating, interesting, Strange. thought provoking. Can, can you tell folks a little bit about, yeah, don't give it all away, but just maybe say a little bit about what we're going to we, hear Yeah. About. We were, we were talking about this, uh, <laughs> via Slack and text messages. Uh, it was, it's, it's basically the concept of, um, swallowable devices. Uh, so while everyone is obsessed with, and I am, I am very interested in this. It's a, it's basically mm-hmm. tr- vital tracking through, um, robots that you ingest. And I said, Oh, I want to, uh, coin ingestible technology like we've got like wearables we're now going to have digestibles and and so (laughs) it's that's about as all as far as i'm going to say i'm going to let lily sounds like lunchables i'm sorry digestibles i loved lunchables (laughs) as a kid who doesn't it's gonna be great all right so uh lily off to you hey kathy and lee 
I've got two stories for you tonight from Dispatch from the Fringe. And since we're talking about a wearable world, it has to do with wearable devices. The first story I have from you is from device, from a report about a study done with ingestible pills. That's right. These are ingestible vitals monitoring pills for respiratory and heart rates. They're called a VM pill, and so far it's been evaluated in 10 humans with no adverse effects. So what the study has done was it took 10 people who were in a sleep lab, uh, connected to monitors, uh, took the vitals monitoring pill, and their respiratory rate and heart rate were tracked through the pill. So scientists hope that uh, vital monitoring pills like this will be able to help people uh, with sleep apnea and even opioid addiction. The second story I have for you is that smart contact lenses may be closer than you think. So all these smart glasses coming out might not be the future. It might be our smart contact lenses instead. Scientists in Nyang Technical University in Singapore have developed a flexible battery that's as thin as a human cornea. So this means that it stores electricity when it's immersed in a saline solution, and it could one day be strong enough to power smart contact lenses. It works because it has a glucose-based coating that reacts with sodium and chloride ions in the saline solution, and it can even react to just normal human tears too. So while the water uh, the battery contains serves as a wire or circuitry for electricity to be generated, so it doesn't need any wires or lithium-ion batteries that we don't really want in our eyes. Right now, the battery is about 0.5 millimeters thin, and the team has demonstrated that it could produce a current of 45 microamperes and a maximum power of 201 microwatts, which could be sufficient to power a smart contact lens. That is your dispatch from the fringe. All right. Digestibles. Ingestibles. Ingestibles. I don't even know. (laughs) They're definitely not Lunchables. I mean, they could. They could come in your Lunchable, I guess, in the future. In the future. (laughs) So, fatter future on digestibles. I, You know, I actually think it's the future. Um, I think that it'll be incredibly valuable uh, for med tech in the not so distant future, especially when you have to like get quick diagnosis of, of situations. Um, you know, right now we still are subjected to exploratory surgeries for so much. Mm -hmm. And, uh, if this can even decrease that uh, a little bit, the invasiveness of that and the danger that it can pose a person who has no other alternatives, this is, this could eventually be one of those fantastic alternatives that, um, I'm, I'm at least hopeful for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm excited. Definitely. I think it's the future on some level. So I think we're going to learn, try to learn more about our bodies, learn more about our systems, our organs, um, our performance. I mean, we've got an interview with my friend, Dr. Lita Kostopoulos in a couple of weeks, uh, where she's really focused on human performance. Um, so 
definitely, I agree with you that some level it's definitely the future. Is it just, is this going to be specifically the way we do it? Who knows? Right. But we'll have to see. Um, but you know, Hey, it's a tool in the belt. You should go right? buy the domain and trademark that. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't want to be in ingestible, digestible technology. The digestible business. I can root for it from the sidelines. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So anyway, Lee, wonderful having you this week. Um, I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family, oh, friends, right. your doggy. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. And if you're not in the U.S., um, you know, we'll be celebrating over here in the U.S., but thankful. You know what I am thankful for? I'm thankful for you, Lee. And I'm you. I'm thankful for Lily. Thank you. I'm thankful for Adweek. Thankful for my wonderful family and everything. And uh, the listeners. For- we're thankful for the listeners. Every single listener. <laughs> sponsors. We're thankful sponsors. for the sponsors. <laughs> We're thankful for all of that. We're thankful for the space to be able to kind of talk about tech in a, in a geeky way and come up with crazy names like digestibles. <laughs> but yeah, thanks to everyone that's listening. Once again, like we say every week, please leave us a review, subscribe, share this out. We're thankful to the listeners, to the sponsors, to Adweek. And um, yeah, you know, we'll be back next week. Come for the tech, stay for the magic. And we'll be back with more tech magic next week. Happy Thanksgiving. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 